Hi, welcome to this Centropic Enterprise Alumni Plus open call. The purpose of these calls is to create a one-hour, high-paced, high-value opportunity to experience Centropic world and for, the, for our alumni to come back and get uh, some, uh, both uh, the opportunity to revisit new models, learn about other businesses that are being created and to be provoked by our guest speaker. This was a really uh, exciting conversation because uh, we had Rob Smith, who is the CEO of Integral Life and ha uh, is an outstanding thinker in large-scale systems change, and, uh, and also Sally Townsend, who's the head of adv advocacy for Outland Denim, one of the exemplars of what a centropic enterprise can be doing. I think you'll find by listening to the one hour that you'll begin to get an understanding of what we're doing and our ambition at Centropic World, which is to create a world where Centropic enterprises are business as usual. In other words, business leaves everything better. Thank you for being here. I'm glad uh, that you found us and I hope you enjoy this very inspiring conversation. So I think we're going to just, I'm just going to launch in, we're going to get started because I really like to keep these calls uh, to time. And uh, so there's a couple of people um, that are not familiar with what we're doing, just a very brief overview, Centropic Enterprise. Uh, the term itself is in the Creative Commons, um, which means that uh, I don't own it and uh, no one else can own it. We would like it to become a common term, like a social enterprise, but a much higher advance of what um, what a social enterprise is. So no more um, greenwashing, uh, checkbox sustainability, that sort of thing. Uh, just so that you know, Centropic, the word means, hey, Ema, lovely to see your face. Um, the word means, uh, is the opposite of entropic. Uh, entropy is a disintegrating universe and Centropic is towards a higher order or an eternally regenerative universe. And a lot of the work that we're doing is how do we, uh, rather than trying to change the existing models, how do we create new models that make the existing obsolete? And so Centropic is how do we create enterprises and enterprises is anything from uh, the um, two people in a garage with no legal entity to a large corporate, to a community group, any human endeavor. Uh, towards a world with a future. And that's really what we're about with Centropic. And so a lot of the material is based on the work of Buckminster Fuller, who I've been a student of for 34 years and uh, applied student, I might add. And so uh, what he did was he spent his time uh, looking at the laws inherent in nature and how to apply them. He applied them to the built environment, to structure, architecture, uh, cities, city dwellings, making sustainable cars, you know, I'm talking about in 1927, considering the sustainability of um, our, our life and livelihood, 1927, I just want to emphasize that point. Um, he was considering the all-in accounting cost of a barrel of oil, uh, which he determined uh, at that stage was uh, too expensive for any human to afford and that eventually we would be paying the after tax of our lack of accounting for the cost for the earth to produce it, humans to use it, and the post-use costs, which we're currently um, experiencing. 
So in this little uh, presentation, this is a monthly call that we do for our um, alumni. We um, in a masterclass that uh, really helps people apply laws inherent in nature to enterprise design and human coordination. In other words, how do we how do we as humans build a world with a future and do that through our innovation and so on. In this piece um, that I'm going to present for the next 10 minutes, um, this is um, I'm going to be talking about synergy, which is one of the founding principles of um, of uh, how natural law, hopefully it'll make sense. And then of course we have the wonderful Rob Smith, who is uh, CEO of Integral Institute. And that is just kind of like only the top of what he does. Um, and then we also have the beautiful Sally Townsend from Outland Denim, um, who uh, is going to be just sharing. Um, I would consider by the way that Outland Denim is an exemplar of a centropic enterprise. Uh, and so, you know, we need to gather more exemplars of, of businesses uh, like uh, Outland Denim, like Patagonia, for example, who are, who are demonstrating actively in everything that they do, that they're committed to a world with a future. And uh, we need to learn from those people, um, those companies and so on, what they're doing. It's not an easy road, as I know Sally will be able to tell, <laughs> um, because we're up against an incumbency that is huge. Uh, anyway, so we're going to jump in and get started with, um, I'm just going to give you this little tiny piece on, on the principle of synergy, which is quite frankly the, uh, the greatest exponential technology that we have as humans. And so the definition of synergy uh, is, and I don't want to get lost in this, the behaviour of, of whole systems, the behaviour of whole systems unpredicted by the behavior of any part of the system when the parts are considered separately. So uh, I'll repeat that. The behavior of whole systems unpredicted by the behavior of any part of the system when the parts are considered separately. And Bucky actually believed that synergy was kind of like the ultimate principle uh, of the working laws of nature and so let me give you an example of that because that that definition is like whoa i'm having a brain freeze so i'll give you a really simple example of that if you take a poisonous gas and an explosive metal i don't care whether you're albert einstein if you dissect them and spend decades examining them separately you cannot determine that when you put the two of them together you get a white substance that we sprinkle on food. Table salt. Yep. That's one example. Another example, which is the really classic example, is the example of uh, the butterfly, the, the, the caterpillar to butterfly. It, it, no amount of examining the caterpillar can determine that we're going to get a butterfly. So what this means in application is that if we're going to become uh, useful in universe as humans, then the requirement is that we go to the highest level of consideration possible in order to determine how to solve the parts, the problems. Does that make sense? Because you can't determine the whole from examining the parts. That's the point. And so uh, 
Bucky would say, start with universe first, which is the highest place that we can go to, to think about. You know, and this is a discipline that is required because we're trained in our thinking. We're trained to think of the parts. So, you know, the classic example, which is a great initiative, but it's using the same set of thinking is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which are parts. And I know from the conversations I've had with James Bartle from Outland Denim that, you know, when, when they were addressing ending slavery, they realised that you couldn't do that without actually considering ending poverty, the environment, not cutting down trees, because all of these things are integrated. And so the principle of synergy is, is a commitment. This is true in all cases. So it's a commitment to go to the highest level of thinking that we can possibly do and start from that place to consider how we solve problems, how we, how we uh, um, create uh, more viable systems in the universe. At the human level, and this is why I talk about it as the greatest exponential technology. At the human level, if you take one person plus one person plus one person, so let's, you know, we've got three people. If we take three people and we're working together as a team, the outcome of our working together, the outcome of our minds, not our brains, our minds, the outcome of our minds working together should create something that is far greater than three, but potentially has possibility of infinity. And so in other words, I want you to think about this because you've all probably had this experience where you've been working on something and, something, and, and, uh, and somebody else comes into the, the space and the combination of that takes you to such a higher order that you could never have thought of it on your own. But neither could the other person. You, you actually need that set of relationships in order to create that really high, high that synergistic response. So as I said, the greatest, um, as Bucky said, I, and I um, concur, that the human mind working synergistically working like this there is really no problem on earth that we cannot solve and so um what this requires and, and there is it, it requires that we create the ecology and the environment in which that happens and a large part of what we do with centropic enterprise is we're really um working on how do you create enterprise the enterprise architecture and the environment where teams of people come together to create a synergistic response. And, you know, what I know from, from practicing this material for so long and, and building enterprises where this is steeped into the bones of the enterprise is that when you create those spaces, people get to show up around something that they care about towards a world with a future where they get to be brilliant. Not only do they get to bring their brilliance, they get, because you build the development into the design as well, they get to expand their capacity and their brilliance through the architecture of the enterprise. 
And so my sort of founding belief is that the world is generally populated by good people who would like to apply themselves to something that they care about, would like to be able to do that in, an, in a way that honours and respects the unique complexity of their life experience and skill sets and work with other people so that that combination blows everybody away. Because for me, that's really one of the most exciting engagements that we can have. So that's kind of like the really high level overview of the principle of synergy. Um, and we've got a couple of minutes before I introduce, I know I'm just sort of throwing you in at the deep end of that. We go into depth, a lot more depth around these type of materials in the masterclass, but I wanna you know, throw the call open. If you have a question, um, just unmute yourself or I can see most of you on the screen. I've got a huge big screen in front of me. <laughs> I'm sick of most of you. Um, unmute yourself, ask a question. If you have a question about the principle of synergy, I'd love to do what I can to answer. Anyone? Don't be shy. <laughs> no, no one. Yeah, go, Ema, go ahead. I just Ema. ask, and it's yeah. it's not so much about the 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 principle, but the reality. Like, so your experience uh, in Australia and beyond of. Uh, where are we in terms of these ecosystems beginning to emerge? You know, what, what are you seeing? Uh, you know, I, it's a fantastic question. And I think I have an intuition, but I have an intuition when, when uh, Rob comes into the call that, that some of this might become a bit more evident. Uh, but, you know, I, I see this unique global opportunity that we're going through right now as and it's affecting you know it's affecting the people in the united states very differently to australia people in different countries you know in some areas it's tragic uh terrifying all of that you know such such a complex experience and for some of us and you know the 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 lucky country that we are in Australia, um, many people have been given this unique opportunity uh, to take a step back and go, you know, what is the life I've been living and do I want to continue that? And so, but it's also showcasing the, the clear delusions of our economic financial governance system as well. Uh, so for example, you know, the week before, um, the coronavirus lockdown in Australia, we didn't have money to actually support people on welfare um, other than $40 a day, which is kind of unlivable. But the week after we did. So where did that magically come from? And so we have to start asking these questions. You know, what is the, what is real? What is the truth? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I see you know, it, um, there's an interesting um, another piece that goes with that we work in uh, with Centropic uh, Enterprise, which is which is the principle of Kairos time, which is from Greece. You know, Greek timing. I mean, it means universal or divine time. It's time that is a different harmonic to chronological linear time, and our education and training systems have been built largely on models that are. Um, uh, 
actually needing needing to be challenged and this was a large part of Bucky's work you know there is no such thing as a solid shape actually um, there is no such thing as a straight line the cube isn't the building block of universe uh, you know all of these type of models are things that we really need to rethink so at this unique moment in time I think people are really opening to the possibility that we the people humans on the ground um, can actually create enterprises lead the way do this and my sense is that 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 pace is picking up it's stronger than it's ever been yeah yes larry is that larry you need to unmute unmute hi christine how are you going yeah I'm well thank you <coughs> um i just got a comment and a question is that we see uh, a lot of in resilient futures we see a lot of exponential uh, thresholds being broken uh, and that goes across you know, the speed of transactions we're now doing things much faster than we were 20 years ago mm -hmm. right 100 uh, 100 years ago um, where we've got a biosphere a, a breakdown there's a whole bunch of exponential changes disruptive changes happening and uh, it because of connectivity that we have around the world, so like a whole system, um, at a personal, physical level and a, um, a digital level, um, we're getting this exponential change occurring. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing synergy as a counter to that? Because what we're working with is um, an exponential behaviour to counter the exponential change. But knowing that mindsets are finding it very difficult to keep up with change because I don't understand the basics of exponential and things such as that. Right, and and um, you know, the Rob is probably going to speak into this a little bit more with a little bit more fluency. But the human biological system, um, and this was actually what we taught this week on the masterclass, is the principle of perturbation, um, which is um, the human biological system when it goes through change, a perturbation state. Uh, you know, it actually means that, that we become perturbated and, and agitated essentially before the threshold is crossed and the change is created and it becomes irreversible. Uh, and so um, we're going through, you know, we have for a long time as humanity been going through an accelerated acceleration. I don't think that's necessarily going to slow down. What I think is it's requiring the human biological system to speed up to that. And so, you know, if we think of, we think of um, the fluency of the gamers with their digital hand-eye coordination, they'd leave me for dead because I'm not a gamer. But that, that is actually a biologically trained response. And so our children are already, you know, in this phase where their, their neurobiological stimulus systems can speed up. But the counter to that on the other side, of course, because part of any any system that holds its shape is it needs polarity. Um, on the other side of that is the requirement for us as individual humans to spend time deeply in meditation, contemplation, nature, stillness, because too much of this without that. And we're going to, you know, our biological systems are just going to go snap and we're going to burn out. So it's, it, it's a both end response um, that we need to really consider around that. One, any large, I've got opportunity for one last question. Otherwise we're gonna to move to Mr. Rob Smith. 
You good? All right. So um, I'm going to introduce you to Rob. Rob can unmute. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> um, I, um, have, I, I met Rob in Brazil, actually, in 2009. And, uh, and um, uh, he is somebody that I pay attention to always. And I follow him on Twitter. I made sure I kept caught up with the Twitter feed this morning, Rob. Um, uh, CEO of, as I said, Integral Institute. Uh, we teach integral theory um, as part of Centropic Enterprise. But um, yeah, so part of what I, the sort of like the opening question that I, I thought that we might start with, Rob, is, you know, we were talking about perturbation in the system. Um, and what, what do you think is possible on the other side of this if we apply the synergy of the human mind? But you could, you could go anywhere with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> can everybody hear me okay? Good. Yeah, all gonna, right, well, it's, nice, yeah. it's yeah. nice to be with you all. See all these faces, what a neat experience to have all these little screens and faces pop up. It feels like we're sort of a virtual community, which is neat, even temporarily. Um, let me start by giving 30 seconds on what the, the framework I come from, which is integral meta theory. And integral meta, the meta, integral meta theory is um, arguably one of the two or three candidates in the world that is the most comprehensive way of thinking about thinking, thinking about thinking and thinking about human knowledge in the grand evolutionary scope. I mean, we're going back 14 billion years and there's, there's only a, a few candidates. They're all quite good. And they all, if you stand back far enough, they actually all agree with each other quite, quite a lot. And um, all of them, uh, but I'll speak to integral meta theory, is doing a lot of what we're talking about on this call. It's, it's, looking at, uh, it's looking at the largest whole. So if you start with a viewpoint from the largest whole possible, <clears throat> What does that tell you? And the good news about starting from the largest whole possible is then when you dive into the layers, you always have a broader context to hold what's happening. You have a broader context to hold the truth. You have a broader context to hold power dynamics. You have a broader context to hold yourself. And so that becomes both liberating and it becomes effectuating. It creates more effective action and more effective ways of thinking about the world. So that's the world I come out of. Um, and we do a lot of thinking and writing and, um, we have a whole global community and um, I, my company integral life runs a, um, a website that publishes a lot of this stuff so uh, we we talk about a lot of different things uh, and this is this happens to be a subject i think about a lot which is what we're talking about today which is what's the state of the global um, economic system what is power up to right now how do we situate it in a broader historical context um, so right now we're going through uh, a, a, there's a severe gap, severe and widening gap between human potential and human reality uh, today. On one side, we have a meta crisis, what we call a meta crisis, which is a interpenetrating, severe, co-arising crisis um, environmentally, in our education systems, uh, economically, in our global and national governance uh, processes uh, and our mental and spiritual health. And that meta crisis, there's a reason why all that co arises. Um, and there's a reason why it's, it's going to be the defining catalyst for what is coming online right now, which is what I call the transformation age. So we're coming out of the information age, we're coming into the transformation age. And there are readily 
identifiable structures and ways of thinking that we're going to be leaving behind in the information age, or at least bringing some of them with us, but we're going to be transcending them. As you say, Christine, when we get an emergent layer of reality that comes online, it was not reducible nor predictable uh, from the parts a priori. Um, and that's what we're going through. Uh, the, that's the good news, maybe. The, the bad news is it sucks to go through these. It sucks, to, it sucks to grow. It sucks to have these breakdowns where the system that you're in doesn't work. Um, I, I, did a, I did a podcast, I guess, about a month ago, and I used a, a kind of a stupid example, but people loved it, so I'll use it again. It's like we all know what it's like to gain three pounds and then gain five pounds and then gain nine pounds and then just get real pissed off. It's like, can I please stop this process at some point? And at some point, the, the tension builds up enough where you're like, okay, now I got to do something about it. And to Christine's point, it's like these all, all natural systems, uh, whether they're systems of thinking, systems in nature, uh, systems in the economy, they build this tension up because whatever they're doing works, it works for a while and it's fit for purpose for the environment it's in and then it stops working. And that's where we find ourselves now. The reason that is true, if we look back 80 years, is that we've been enmeshed or part of a context where the US, uh, by winning, the war winning World War II in the manner we did with the European client states in the Western world and the Western Alliance, including Australia and including others around the world and the choices made with US policy after 1945, we're living in that world today. We can draw a directly straight line between what, we're, what is happening in today's headlines to decisions that were made in 1947 and 1949. And we're at the end of that cycle. Now, does that mean that what comes next necessarily completely replaces it? Well, we'll see. Right. That's the process of emergence we're going through. But this is all part of a broad arc of these evolutionary cycles. Um, economically, what's happening to some degree is if we think about and I can I, I'm, I'm kind of giving you a broad piece and then Christine, we can go wherever you want. Um, just trying to sort of give it enough context to, to situate this. So if we think about what's happening in the global economy, there's three, one way to think about the economies, there's three basic economies in the global economy. There's the uh, low wage service economy, which is a lot of the people that you're hiring to do the service work around the house if you're in the rich Western world. It's also, I just, I just traveled around the world for a year and these are the folks making you know $1 an hour doing the worst service jobs out there in the third world countries I was in and in the developing world. Um, this is the lowest wage base in, in the world. The, the second economy is the medium wage manufacturing uh, economy, uh, which by the way, to a developing country is a very, very lucrative and, and, and an attractive prospect, which is why they're trying to become medium wage uh, manufacturers. And then the third, uh, third economy is the high wage service economy. And the high wage service economy is where all the rich Western countries live. And it's where all of them are trying to stay, frankly. So there's a reason why, you know, U.S. has most of its uh, most of its GDP and services. Why we can't manufacture masks? We've been so focused on the one, we've we've forgotten about the other. And that's true across you know across the Western across the Western world. 
Um, but if we look at then what that means for business, it's obvious, which is that the high wage service business, the high wage service economy is driven by people. And what's happening now as we have evolved our economy over the last few hundred years, as our scarce resources no longer just value optimization and producing stuff, as we've moved into high wage services, as people and their creativity and their uh, sort of spiritual energy is what drives most of the value, then you also have to have a concomitant change in the way business is done, which is what we're seeing. So worldwide to the question that was posed. Yes, worldwide we're seeing a blossoming of a new kind of thinking or a new way of thinking about business, uh, the social contract between capital and labor, uh, between uh, and how uh, countries are gonna have to govern that how our intellectual property and other kinds of uh, policy frameworks are going to have to catch up because what is happening now is, and it's been going on for 50 years, but we're really living through a, a huge blowing up of it. And we're really living with the problems of it, the contradictions of it. So conscious capitalism, which I was one of the founding members of 12 years ago, that was a direct result of, what I'm talking about. It's just a natural evolution of a reply to the evolving and higher order needs that are that that come online when your lower order needs are taken care of and your values can change accordingly. The economy is reflecting that. A lot of other things sort of around that are going to reflect that as we, you know, as we proceed. But the, the broad arc is that we're leaving 80 years of US hegemony in our rearview mirror, or we're about to. We're coming into a transformation age, which has massive promise in terms of its technology and the other things that it's gonna change, but we're right in the middle. It's about a 20 to 30 year transition, I figure. We're right in the middle of that. The pandemic is catalyzing a lot of things that we're gonna be, we're gonna to have to be done anyway. Uh, and a meta crisis sits right at the core of all that. So I just said a whole lot, like three books worth, but that's a very big picture in a short amount of time. So let's see if that any of that landed. <laughs> uh, so I could ask questions, but perhaps um, we might um, uh, open if anyone would like to ask Robert a direct question um, right up the front. Anyone game enough? <laughs> yeah, Larry, question. It is a question. Question. Yeah, question. Um, where do you think um, uh, the US in its turmoils at the moment? I mean, COVID is, is a, uh, just an, an example, really. I mean, it's a pretty terrible example for people. But the, the, um, the uh, election of Trump, what, what do you see that as, <clears throat> as a reflection of this meta-crisis? It is a direct reflection on the 80-year on the cycle that I referred to where a complex system becomes irresilient, and, and we're not talking about this kind of like loose descriptive irresilience, we're talking about the technical complex adaptive system irresilience. The system's no longer able to fulfill its purpose and it becomes stagnant and can't adapt to change. Um, and, and the reason that happened was that post 1971, when Nixon took us off the gold standard, America could run twin deficits, both fiscal um, and uh, trade deficits. It, it then became the largest debtor nation in the country. 
That allowed us to suck in capital from around the planet after the Reagan reform of 1980. That allowed us to financialize the world, including our own country. By financializing it, it sucked all that wealth and capital up to the 1% vis-a-vis a capital political nexus uh, between Washington, D.C. and New York City. It, it made our top tenth of a percent and top 1% massively wealthy. It stagnated real wages in the country post 1970, 71, 73. Uh, it created massive inflation uh, in nominal terms throughout the country, uh, impoverishing the middle class and the working class. And that led not only to a succeeding number of crises, one of which was the 2001 tech bubble and the blow up, then the 2008 housing bubble and the blow up, but it also drove a massive populist backlash by the first, by, by 2015. Um, and then you throw a black president in there, you throw in, you know, white, white popular, you know, white working class grievance and, and the, the cultural war that was, was waiting to be tapped by a bad political actor. And 2016 in some ways was inevitable. So Rob, I, I just, um, my understanding, and I'm really open to be, uh, um, uh, have you reorganized my understanding, is that um, from an economic point of view, and I know you said those three layers, but there's also, the, there's the real economy, which actually produces stuff, does things, you know, builds things, produces stuff, educates people, takes care of people, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's this financial economy, which is the largest in my understanding, by far the largest economy, which is kind of like money circulating, making money circulating, making money circulating. Is that the way I, is my understanding kind of correct on that from your point of view? Um, uh, more, more or less, uh, the, the financial economy is not exactly real. And so saying that it's a bigger economy than the real economy is, is only if you, if you sort of you know, suspend your disbelief and willingly buy the fiction that, that somehow, you know, 100 trillion in derivatives is real and whatever. But, but it is certainly true that in, in, in nominal value terms, there's all this money floating around in, in the banking sector and the world financialized economy, but not enough, of it, not enough of it is going to the real economy to fund real production, uh, real investment, uh, and what we would say, you know, Main Street. So the big, big argument in the, you know, the pandemic responses by the banking industry, well, by, by, the, by, the, by the Federal Reserve and the Treasury is, did enough of the money get to uh, Main Street? And so this is a lively debate because, you know, people are finally asking, I think, some of the right questions, which is what this, uh, what this uh, crisis is, is catalyzing, which is good because you cannot, you, let's be really clear, you can't address the meta crisis. You cannot do anything in a uh, in a in a in a political world, in a democratic political world of the last few hundred years, if you don't even have the right conversations. Yeah. So when we talk about the meta crisis as a failure of education, part of what we're talking about is that we don't even know how to have the right conversations. We don't ha we don't even know how to have the right people in the room to have the right conversations. Nor do we have the structures nor the incentives in our media and our other areas in which people are forming their knowledge, forming their opinions, forming their truths to have the right conversation. So we can't release system IQ. It's the way I've, I've said it for a while now. We, and, and until we can release system IQ, 
um, we're going to be we're going to continue to grind against really tough circumstances. So, um, my, my, oh yeah, Monica, I'll, I'll raise, um, I'll let you speak. It's lovely to see you here. Oh, thank you. Uh, awesome. Sorry, I was walking, so I didn't want to, that's why I've had a weird photo on there. Um, how do we release System IQ now? Well, that's the, that's, that's <laughs> the big question, isn't it? That's the big question. The good news here, the good news is that we, we don't, we don't have to exactly like evolution's a, small, a lot smarter than any of us will ever be. And, and these systems, by virtue of how contradictions build up within any system, they all ultimately fail under the weight of their own contradictions, as is this one. And it's, and it's failing on about 50 different levels uh, in 50 different places, all of which are important. And, and as that happens, so even though I talked about the widening gap between you know, human reality and, and human potential, that's at the surface level. Actually, what's happening also at the deep structural level is there's an entire world being born that is the transformation age. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Um, this is a transformation age conversation we're in right here. Uh, I mean, quite literally, not only is it, is it that technologically, it is that, if, it is that because I know that if, we, if we, we looked at the structures of consciousness on the call and we looked at it through a, the lens of developmental psychology, which we spend a lot of time on, and we looked at the values on the call. We looked at the self-awareness. Uh, we looked at the emotional regulation that's going on for you. Uh, we could look at a lot of different dimensions. And this is a higher order of intelligence and care and concern that can come out of this kind of process. And it, it's not to say it doesn't get fucked up. Like we still all bring our shit and we still make bad decisions and we still have that going on. But, but, but these kinds of these kinds of later stage enactments of consciousness and values um, are able to uh, bring something qualitatively new, and they are working on the problem at the deep structural level. They're building the technologies of the future. They're building the platforms of the future. They're building the social contracts. Uh, I talk a lot on my Twitter feed about cooperatives. Um, I like cooperatives as a business formation uh, structure because it does change the social contract in significant ways between the, the classic sort of just capital and labor model, which was probably totally right 150, 200 years ago, but it's outmoded now functionally. So, so that's all happening right underneath our feet and it's happening with what you are all doing and what I'm doing and what, what, what is being born every day. And, and that's another thing I'd say from an integral point of view, there's not one world. There's at least five. There's at least five worlds. There are five totally distinct worlds of values and structures and behaviors and consciousness and economic modes. And what, what the people at the leading edge of our, uh, the people who are going to be leaders in 30 years. I mean, I, you know, my kids, we homeschool. I spent a lot of time with my kids thinking about leadership and thinking about the future leadership. These will be people that understand that there's not one world, that what's on the other side of a post-truth world is not no truth, but many different truths and they all have to be honored. That probably raises a question, Lorraine. <laughs> uh, just quickly, and then we're gonna to move to uh, Sally. Yeah, so I need to unmute, good, thanks. Sure, yeah, thanks, Rob. I really appreciate your comments. And 
Um, my question is a broad one, and I'll, I'll only loosely set it up, which is, you know, you, you anchor uh, our current situation in the post-World War II decisions and framing, and um, I'm curious how you interpret where China and other parts of Asia were then in relation to where they are now and how that's informing the five worlds. Yeah. I realize that's kind of a massive question. With, uh, you know, maybe it's a great question. It's, one I, it's a great question. It's one I think a lot about because the obvious, the obvious question is, does China supplant the, the U.S. as the global reserve currency? Because what, what sits at the core of all of this is the US, is U.S. dollar as global reserve currency. And if that doesn't change, then a lot of this stuff doesn't change. Um, but we also have to be careful. This is, this, th these are madly powerful levers we're talking about. These are world history changing powers we're talking about, something like a, a global reserve currency. So it will be emergent, and it's probably going to change in the next 15 to 20 years, maybe faster. Uh, but how it does so is actually a really, really interesting and complex question. Some people say it's Bitcoin. I, I don't think so. But, but nevertheless, the reason that's such an important thing is that you have to trace the U.S.'s financial capability, the power of its military, the fact that 60% or 50% of the world's uh, trade volume occurs on the dollar with our ability to sanction, with our ability to put military bases around the world, with propping up petrodollar dictatorships. Like there's a lot that goes into that one structural feature of reality. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand a lot about what's happening today. And so the question is, well, does China pick, pick up that ball? Now, interestingly, China's not stupid. They know that if you become the global reserve currency, it's great for about 40 years. And then about 40 years later, you've hung yourself with a golden noose. And that's why the U.S. is destroying from within. So, so whether they choose, so China and Russia both want to displace the dollar, but they probably don't want to replace it with, with their own, with their own thing. So yes, China is a, is a very significant, we, we, one way to say is we've now entered another bipolar world, which we haven't had since 1990. Um, with the fall of the Soviet Union. So now we're in again a bipolar world. Uh, what it looks like is a very uh, tricky question. Uh, we, we could see a, you know, a fragmenting of the world's spheres into a European sphere, a Chinese sphere, and a North American sphere. Time will tell. Uh, I'm doing a lot of thinking about this you know, as we speak. It's a, it's a great question. But the, the key to the whole thing in a lot of ways is um, what, you know, does the U.S. continue to bankrupt itself? And it's about to bankrupt the entire planet, by the way. Uh, the, the, the value of the dollar is skyrocketing, and it's cutting the heads off all the emerging markets. They're all going bankrupt behind crashing currencies, including Australia. Currency has just dropped. You know, it, it, like everybody's getting their head cut off because of the dollar. Everybody's trying to get dollars. Um, and so what happens with that is, is a really, really important question geostrategically. <laughs> So I think, um, thank you, Rob. I think you can see that, that there's more questions that we have to ask and, uh, and such a rich repository of information uh, worthy of following integral life um, is membership. Um, this type of dialogue is, is the common form dialogue uh, for most of the community there, um, but lots of other different resources as well because integral is, is absolutely about integral. So there's a lot of um, spiritual practices, meditation, all of that sort of support. It's a whole, it's a whole system's response uh, to the human condition. So um, I appreciate um, very much that and your uh, input and the questions that I think we're all asking as a result of that. Thanks, Rob. Um, My pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Could I just say one thing before we move on? Yeah. 
Sure. Thanks, Rob. That's great. I uh, really love what you were saying. And um, my work is sort of through the consciousness and the stages and moment seven and that sort of thing. And, and so one of the emergence uh, realities of the trajectory is that as, as Christine started off talking about parts, we, we start to identify less with parts, you know, in terms of being a nationality. Yeah. or an identity or who we belong to. So, so we actually st start to think less about West, East, uh, I'm Australian, Irish, American, woman, man. And so it, it, as that opens up, we, the, it potentially opens up that emergence of, of a more holistic approach that, that, uh, that through synergy, it just emerges itself as well. Yeah. So just, you know, that idea. So can I comment on that for just 10 seconds? Sure. Very quickly, I'm biting into Sally's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, uh, sorry. I just want to say you're 100% right, and that's why power is so important. Because if you leave power, if power continues to accrue because your systems are broken in the hands of those who do not think holistically at all, then we run into a real problem. And, and so what we're facing right now is a problem of power, actually. I mean, if you boil it down, I, I talked about the money and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, we have a problem with power. We have a very serious problem with how structures of power are navigated, how, how power is provided in our social systems. That's economic, legal, and political. Now I'll shut up. I see you all. <laughs> If I drop off, it's because I have kids. Uh, if I have kid, I'm I'm still middle homeschooling my day. So if I if I run away, you'll know why. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, um, Sally. Lovely to have you here. Uh, yeah, and uh, and so I'm just going to open the mic for you uh, to share a little bit about um, Outland Denim and what you're doing and the adventure that you're on, and then we'll have a few questions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for 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 what's what you guys have um, said and Rob, I find that incredibly interesting. Hopefully I can bring some of, um, some of these broad concepts down to what um, we're doing practically on the ground and what we're actually, what we're actually seeing in this, in this, um, I guess, entropic movement, uh, if you like. Um, and um, we, we began um, thinking holistically, thinking broadly, um, Firstly, as a response to the problem of human trafficking, um, but in understanding the problem of human trafficking, we, we, we came to understand that it's bigger than that. It's about the problem of poverty. So essentially, our business started as a response to the problem of poverty in looking at this is a massive problem. How can we potentially solve that problem? What's the best methodology of doing that? And um, we saw the avenue of creating, um, creating denim jeans <laughs> as an avenue to solve the global problem of poverty. And um, we spent about um, six years, I think, six years just creating a business model. Um, and then after that, launching a product to market. And from that, seeing an exponential growth far beyond our wildest dreams of um of a brand that's based on the idea of solving poverty um and addressing environmental concerns at the same time as well um so huge success huge support um from all sectors um as well as having a real voice and influence uh, not only in the fashion industry 
but also in the um, in the overall business in, uh, overall business in, industry and approach to business as well, and becoming a real voice there. Um, and so, basically, our um, approach um, to talk about just the way that we the, the way that we actually function um, is that we own our own means of production and we um, provide employment opportunities for people that otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities, people that have been victims of different sorts of human rights abuses. And we provide them with the tools that they need to lift themselves and their families out of the cycle of poverty. And the way in which we do that is we pay them um, we pay them from the moment they come to us, but they, we pay them to train with us. Um, and we approach um, approach their training very very differently in that we allow them to have experience in creating all aspects of the garment rather than just a pocket for a lifetime um, in order that they're upskilled enough to be able to then go on um, and be more marketable members of society as well as having uh, greater personal fulfillment themselves. Um, we also give them a living wage compared to a minimum wage, um, which is absolutely essential in, in solving the problem of poverty and also um, opening up the sphere of economic influence within the community that they exist in to help lift the level of the whole community's economics, not just uh, individuals and families. Um, and we also give them holistic education around that as well. So we, we train them in how to, um, how to manage money, how to manage their finances, um, human trafficking awareness, uh, English um, uh, literacy, um, health. So we educate them holistically as well. And we've found that that creates incredible change within, the, with, within um, themselves and then their families and then the community that they exist in. And we believe if you can create change within a community, then you can create change within a nation. And if you can create change within a nation, then you can create change uh, in, in, in a world as well. Um, and so that was the foundation on which we're built, but that goes also down the supply chain as well. So we have uh, a zero exploitation model. Um, so that means we don't want to exploit anywhere, anyone any human or the planet at all during the whole lines of production. So we have uh, really strong policies um, around uh, the, the way we manage our supply chain, who we work with and how we, um, how we build and support our supply chain to continuously do better as well in terms of its environmental and its um, uh, its personal uh, impact, its human impact. Um, and also we look to provide the most uh, environmentally friendly um, inputs into our product and manage our environmental input holistically as well. Um, all of these, all of these aspects and um, all of these aspects are, are measured and reported on and we don't see the bottom line as the bottom line. We see definitely the triple bottom line. So we have the environmental, the humanitarian and the financial impacts and they're all recorded and reported to our shareholders and stakeholders. And we work 
incredibly collaboratively with all sorts of partners um, to to make our to make our business work. Um, so we have such a broad frame a broad framework rather than a really uh, rather than a really narrow one in terms of our business and how it and how it operates and who it influences. Um, and as a result of that, our our influence has become um, far broader than we we ever could have imagined. Um, and as a result of approaching business in this way, in one that seeks to uh, leave the world in a better state than than we came into it, that's our overriding purpose. We believe that business can change the world for the better. Um, as a result of that, the amount of support that we've got from other people um, has been has been extraordinary. So we've achieved things that other brands haven't been able to. And to cut through in uh, in denim is a really, really hard thing. It's a highly, highly competitive industry, but we've achieved things that no other brand has ever achieved before. Um, to be able to be um, seen and stocked with uh, the likes of Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's um, and to have them even see an unknown brand from, from a small country is, is, is unheard of and yet to be stocked with them now is, is quite an extraordinary feat. We also had within Australia um, two major, our two major department stores, which are generally, um, well, obviously very competitive. They would never take on um, a, a, they, they would usually ask for exclusivity of a brand. But um, for us, they, they uh, both wanted to carry us to strengthen the brand and stand behind it. Um, within the media, um, we have had incredible support. Um, we've probably only spent, um, you know, th maybe 3% of our overall budget um, has been spent on media. Um, all of the media that we've, well, the vast majority of the media that we've had has been unpaid for and people just wanting to get on board and to re-communicate the story um, and to see what we're doing grow because, and as Christine was mentioning earlier, people want generally want to be involved in creating something that betters the world and betters themselves as a result of taking part of it. Um, so we've had incredible media response um, and we've also had um, an incredible response just recently in the midst of this pandemic. Um, we started a capital raise and we wanted to do it in a different way. We didn't want the, the money just to, um, the, the potential income that, that can come as a result of investing in a, in a high growth brand like ours, just to go to the wealthy. And so we embarked on um, an equity um, crowdfund. Um, and in the midst of that, we had the pandemic occur. And <laughs> despite the pandemic occurring um, and it being one of the most difficult economic times to try to, to raise capital, we had extraordinary results. Um, again, further demonstrating practically that this is the kind of thing that people want. This is the movement and it is actually happening where people want to invest into in whatever way they can um, into the success of new enterprise and centropic enterprise. Um, 
right. <laughs> super exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. which is, is super exciting and just another yeah another demonstrator of um, of the theories that that you're that that you're talking about, Christine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those things are all very exciting. Um, and just in terms of our response to the pandemic as well, um, we, as just, a, you know, we're still small, but as a small brand, we've been invited onto um, roundtables with the, the highest of the fashion industry, um, as well as the highest of business sitting on tables with big companies like Walmart and Twinings and whatnot to try to solve these problems that uh, are seemingly unsolvable in relation to supply chain and the both the humanitarian and the environmental um, giant problems that 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 are occurring, and people are, are coming to us because we we've started from a different point of view. We didn't just try to tack the S SDGs onto our already existing business and say, "Oh, what can we do to fix those things?" Integrally, we wanted to solve the problem of poverty, and as a result of that, the rest of the SDGs are also being looked at as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's in a very small nutshell. There's so many aspects that could be yeah. spoken about, but in a very small nutshell, that's that's where we're at and what we're doing. Yeah, and, and Sally was brave enough to come on to the first masterclass, um, which was, you know, where all of this was uh, not forming, but where it was coming into the into life because it's been forming for at least 10 years. But it's brave enough to do that, and uh, and we um, we it, through the masterclass we teach a lot of the stuff that Outland did, and you know they're we you know an exemplar of a centropic enterprise, and so um, what they're doing it hasn't been easy though, Sally has it. <laughs> this is not. Nice. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's a massive commitment. And uh, we have to be looking for signals in different areas than the, than the business as usual signals that we're on the right path often, yeah. Yeah. So we've got, we've got time for maybe one or two quick questions. If anyone's got a question for Sally, uh, um, please raise your hand. Yeah, Monica, you have a question? Um, I'm just interested in, uh, Sally, awesome work. And I continue to be such a fan of what you're doing. Um, oh. I'm interested in, was there a gender lens to your equity pay uh, crowdfunding yeah there was there was so we um i think in the end it landed around 69 percent female okay. and um a huge majority of those as well um were under the age of 35 yeah it's really interesting you know there was 90 percent of the five million that food connect raised was women isn't that incredible the yeah. very movement how many women are getting this ahead of the curve and supporting it with small amounts of money yeah well done bravo yeah. yeah oh thank you yeah any other questions for sally yes lorraine go ahead yeah uh, i'm just curious why jeans why denim it sounds like you started with the socially oriented business model and then landed on the product if i've got that right so is there that's, yeah that's so what, how yeah. come um, so we wanted it to be in fashion because that was already um, uh, within Asia and Cambodia, particularly where we were looking to start in the beginning. Um, and the NGO that we were we we were working with to begin with um, was in Cambodia, and manufacturing fashion was already something that was a, a, a strong industry there to tap into. Um, and when when moving into the fashion industry, denim. Uh, 
denim makes sense because it's the most universal. It's also an incredibly growing market. Um, and it's something that people are willing to make an investment in to spend a little more on because it's something that you um, wear nearly every day. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and it's also got an aspirational and cool quality to it. Um, so, uh, yeah, all of those reasons. It doesn't go out of fashion. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, it's, it's cross-gender as well. And, and I, I think a really important comment um, when I heard this, that if you're spending under $100 for a pair of jeans, someone's being exploited, um, at least. And, you know, the, this reframes yeah. how we think about how, how we um, spend our money and can actually um, take action towards a world of the future, which is really important. Uh, and so the wonderful thing about, uh, you know, if you, Sally and the whole team, and if you meet James, um, if you haven't met or watched, you know, him on, on um, any of the videos that are around, the equity one was amazing. You know, this is somebody who is so committed, the team so committed to their evolutionary purpose. It is, it, it actually, one of the models that we teach in Centropic is the um, vector of power when you align your evolutionary purpose with your source idea and its pattern integrity. And it creates a field and the field attracts the Meghan Markle effect and the Leonardo DiCaprio effect, you know, it attracts that because people just get it. It's like a transmission. Gina, you had a quick question. Last question. Just a quick one because, you know, I've got kids and they're buying this stuff and it's all consumers and, and it's brilliant. So in terms of the education that's going behind it as well, um, how is that then feeding through into the stores and the kids and, and um, how, how's that, is that like a, a step that you're working on or going with at the moment? So I'm just curious about that. Yeah, definitely. Education is so, so, so important. Um, and there's so many mixed messages out there as, as well. And it's very hard for any consumer to navigate. So education is a huge part um, of what we do in trying to um, increase consumer awareness um, around the fashion industry and exactly what's involved and what the true costs of fashion actually are. Um, but it, and it's not just educating um, consumers, sadly. Um, so many people in the fashion industry have, don't don't know themselves what goes goes into it, and um, so we do we do things like um, work with David Jones on educating their staff so they understand. So people on the floor that are selling the product actually understand what's involved um, in the making of a product. I mean, you you would think that would be general knowledge, but it's not. Um, and they're quite often very surprised when they hear of the, the level of exploitation um, from, from pe people and planet that's actually involved in, in, in the creation of garments. So education is, is really, really important. Um, and I work a lot with um, different universities in, in um, help, uh, helping, to, helping to educate and further the, um, uh, further the understanding of what's actually involved and how we can be better consumers. Yeah. So um, thank you, Sally. Um, I really appreciate you being here. Um, thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, if anyone is interested in um, learning a, more of these models, we do actually have a US-based, Australia-US-based um, masterclass coming up in July. Yep, I can't remember the date. I was going to look it up before, but you know, I forgot. Uh, it's on the website. Um, it's at this time, so it starts at 8 o'clock Australian time, which is whatever, wherever you are in the world. Um, and uh, um, we've 
with, we're in the process with 25 people from around the world, UK um, based, which is fabulous. So if anyone's interested in that, um, go to the website, symtropic.world. It's affordable. If you can't afford it, we make it affordable. There's no um, limit to entry. Um, we're very committed to this work. Um, we're very committed to creating enterprise for a world with a future. We're very grateful for the exemplars like Outland Denim, and, uh, and we're very grateful for those people who are uh, have been working this space like Rob and so on uh, for so many years. So thank you all, everybody. Have a awesome day, evening, wherever you are. Um, we'll have another one of these next month. It'll be for the UK time zone. So lots of love. Thank you. If you loved this episode and you would like to attend other uh, sessions live or access the recording, then please go to centropic.world forward slash alumni or you'll be able to find the link, uh, alumni plus open calls, and you'll see uh, what time uh, the next event is and who is going to be our guest and also our presenting alumni. Thanks for listening. Bye.